welcome, lucky listeners, to episode 17 of Culture Goes Pop. I'm Scott Wilson, and I'm joined by Steve Strombridge. And this week, we will, we will be delving headlong into the catastrophe, the train wreck that is now the DC Extended Universe or the DC films and television shows. Right. When it comes to the DC EU, I've got three letters WTF. All right. So let's kick it off, Mr. Wilson. Okay. This debacle has been carrying on for how many years now? I'd say at least since Man of Steel came out, there's been divided, polarized opinions about the DCEU. Some fans legitimately like it or legitimately love it. But the general consensus seems to be very negative on it. And that consensus has not improved over time uh, despite hits like Aquaman, films like Shazam, which I enjoyed. There have been some home runs. There have been some bright spots there, but again, it doesn't seem to be getting any better, especially with all the news on the business and corporate side of Discovery Warner Brothers is what it's called now. Yeah, that's the name I think they have this week. <laughs> yeah. Who's who's gonna who are they gonna merge with next week, right? Um, I think we I think I shared some similar thoughts in earlier episodes, and just so uh, just to kind of rehash my um, comic book fandom, I would definitely say I'm more of a Marvel comics fan because that's what I kind of gravitated towards. And when I was buying and reading and collecting comics, I owned more Marvel than I did DC, but I'm not a DC hater by any chance. I loved watching the Super Friends cartoons as a kid. I thought that was quality entertainment. I have loved a lot of the DC movies that we've had in the past from the original um, Michael Keaton, Batman, to other things we've had since then in the Batman thing. Um, I have enjoyed what we now call the Snyderverse, and I think I've enjoyed the Snyder cuts better than the theatrical cuts. I, I wasn't crazy about Man of Steel, but I thought it was entertaining. I just felt like we got a lot of what we've already had. I didn't feel we needed an origin story or General Zod all over again, but it was done well. Um, but I really didn't hate anything they did, but I really felt like once they kind of started leading towards trying to catch up to the MCU, I felt like they were, um, you know, kind of like the Batman v Superman was trying to rush into an Avengers level movie that would become Justice League. And I still don't feel like there was enough time for these characters and these stories to kind of breathe and get legs. I felt like it was really rushed to market. Um, and I believe the overall quality and appreciation is a reflection of that. Um, I want to believe, I, I want to, I'm on board. I'm, I'm not wishing failure on them, but unfortunately I think they're doing a lot of <laughs> failure level events to themselves, but I, I really want to see great content. And what I will also say that I've really enjoyed has been the live action streaming series, specifically Titans has been great. Doom Patrol has been great. Um, so they have done and they, they've shown they can do some gritty, grounded, really well done live action. Um, but somehow it's very, it's more missed than hit when it makes it to the big screen. And I'll hand that back to you, Mr. Wilson. Right. And I just want to say that like you, I'm a Marvel fan, a lifelong mighty Marvelite, as I like to call it. 
I went on a tour of their offices when I was seven years old back in 1984. I actually met Jim Shooter, even though I had only a vague idea of who he was back then because I was a very small child. So I'm definitely a Marvel guy, but many of my favorite superhero films have been under the Warner Brothers banner. I still consider the 1978 Superman by Richard Donner starring Christopher Reeve. The Pinnacle. The Pinnacle. I think that's the blueprint from which all other superhero films are drawn from. That was the foundation. Uh, and 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 that and that movie, the origin story, I feel was necessary. Even though Superman, everybody knew who Superman was. When you're bringing Superman to the screen for the first time, you kind of want to get the full story. Um, and and it was played out very well. So that origin story was great. And the kind of teasing and setting the stage for General Zod was great, too. Um, so, yeah, no, no complaints about that one, especially for being 1978. The special effects they did were as good as they could do, but I still feel it holds up. It's not like looking at one of these 1950s B-movie sci-fi things where you oh, clearly that's stop motion and clearly you can see the strings on that flying saucer. You know, it, it, it holds up. And the, and the story and the whole movie um, are still of the same caliber, I feel, today as they were back then. Yes. Uh, like I said, I think it's the holy text of superhero films. I think that's the foundation. I, I remember reading that Sam Raimi was watching that film while he was making Spider-Man 2. And I th could definitely tell that Brian Singer, when he was making Superman Returns, was it? You could definitely see the love and homage to the Richard Donner original in that film, which is actually, I think, slightly underrated. You know, Brian Singer's reputation notwithstanding, I think that that film had a lot to offer. There's a lot of good things that can be said about it. Right. Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor was a much more cold hearted SOB Lex Luthor, whereas um was it Warren Beatty or, uh, gosh, Gene, Hackman. Gene Hackman's one was somewhat of a, uh, an over the top caricature portrayal of Lex Luthor, where this one was more maniacal, I feel, and less jovial. <laughs> right. Well, the Gene Hackman version, I think, was meant to suit the tone of that film, which the first third or the first half where he's travels from Krypton as a baby to Smallville and is raised by Mon Park Kent. It's very solemn. It's almost like a historical biopic. And mm -hmm. then when you get to Metropolis, there's a lot more humor, especially with the character of Otis. And even John Williams scored has a theme for Otis that kind of lets you know this is a guy you shouldn't take serious. So I think that the Gene Hackman Luther is meant to sort of suit the tone, the, the shifting tone of that film. But I say all that to say this, although I'm a Marvel fan, I really think things are better when there's competition. When the house of ideas has somebody to compete with, that's how the comic industry always was. It was a war between DC and Marvel fans, and in a sense that kept both publishers on their toes. They couldn't slip. They had right. to keep the fans' attention. And I think that it just works out better for everybody when there's more competition and there really hasn't been is like in as far as the MCU and the DCEU goes it's been a very one-sided fight so far 
Although you could argue that the, that people are really kind of not a big fan of Phase Four of the MCU yes, either, feeling like it's losing its. Um, they're getting more more quantity with less quality. Um, but we're here to talk about DC and not Marvel right now. Um, right. Yeah. So so the history of DC prior to the past, let's say, 10, 15 years, has not been terrible. Although we could, we have talked about how the, the kind of um, Danny Elfman original Batman with uh, Michael Keaton, it did eventually kind of jump the shark. Uh, Christopher Nolan trilogy with Christian Bale, great noir uh, take on the grounded, gritty Batman. Nothing to complain about. I just think when they when they when they started trying to move towards trying to mirror and match what Marvel was doing with this cinematic universe. Uh, I feel like they were just, it, it, it's come across as they're rushing to catch up and not really planning things. Right. And I think that trying to emulate Marvel's sort of cohesive cinematic universe, as it will, I think may be a mistake because one of the things that DC could have used as a strength is the fact that all of its films are more or less standalone even though there are connections with some of the Snyder directed films, I think DC could have really used that as a strength because it can give you many different tones, many different filmmakers with their different takes on the material, but it was just never treated that way. But we've seen what happens when people try to emulate the Marvel house style as with Universal and its dark universe they were trying to do with all the classic universal monsters. I think the mummy was supposed to kick that off. Right. With Tom Cruise and that didn't really work. And there's been other examples of it not working out as well. So I think that DC kind of had an ace in its hole without realizing it that, hey, we can offer, we can do two different Superman films with two different actors and they can both be completely different because none of this is really connected. None of this is really, you know, written into stone right and if you kind of started off that way then it wouldn't be like well you you started in this one direction with cohesion and now you're creating alternate versions of this what in, in not confusing the audiences you, you know and and honestly prior to marvel taking over and starting with basically iron man um that's how even the marvel super the superhero movies were and that's why marvel still doesn't have the rights to certain things you know so the hulk is was with a different studio than the x-men and spider-man is with sony and i don't even remember who daredevil was with and and then the ghost writer i don't remember who ghost writers with but anyways they were these were all different movies that were just done by different studios and they told a story of one character in that character's version of the world or the universe and they weren't trying to do cohesion even though in marvel comics all these characters live in the same universe when it comes to just making superhero movies, there's nothing wrong with doing a stand. There was a couple different versions of standalone movies on the Punisher. There was the there was Daredevil. There was Elektra. There was the Ang Lee Hulk. There was obviously the Sam Raimi Spider Man. There was a bunch of X Men movies and then kind of reboots and retcon X Men. So and 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 all of them were kind of nice little like you say nice little pieces of entertainment on their own. And there was nothing wrong with that. And nobody had any expectations of anything other than that. Uh, and it was, it took like, you know, kind of Iron Man and Captain America moving forward to have this roadmap to a much bigger 
integrated picture. And initially, the first few phases of that were done very well, leading all the way up to end game. Um, because basically, because they planned it and they did it well enough to where it was kind of neat to see at the end, you know, all your little Easter eggs and kind of mid credit and post credit little teaser scenes of, oh my God, what do I have to wait another year for to see in a different movie? <laughs> you know, it was really, you know, all those drops were really cool. Right. I think Marvel may be getting the rights to the Hulk back. I saw that headline, but I didn't click on the article. So I think that might be, you know, something that they do in the future. But all that brings us to the state of DC films and television shows right now. And right now it's looking a bit bleak. Uh, Batgirl will not be released on any platform. It will not be released theatrically. It will not be released on HBO Max. This is something that cost the studio $90 million. I want to repeat that. $90 million. Can you do it? I pretend like you're um, Dr. Evil for just a minute here from Awesome Powers. $90 million. Right? $90 million. Yeah, $90 million. I can remember back in 91 when it was announced that Terminator 2 would cost $100 million. And that was a big news story because everybody was saying that was the most expensive film ever. There's no way an R-rated action film will turn a profit on that big of a budget. And Cameron pulled it off. Now we are at the point where $90 million is something a studio can just shelve. Makes you... Make, yeah. The WTF. I'm going to keep coming back to that. WTF. And... And so the whole idea with Batgirl, and as we get into talking about the Flash and Flashpoint, was we've been getting all of these teases along the way of the Michael Keaton older Batman, um, this kind of multiverse thing going on. And so we were looking forward to Michael Keaton in Batgirl, because that had already been pre-announced that he will be in Batgirl as kind of the older Batman. We were being teased that in the new Flash movie, that may or may not come out, that we would get a Michael Keaton um, Batman in the Flashpoint multiverse event that he creates. And then I didn't even heard even as of recently, because of the recent shelving of Batgirl, that they were going to recast possibly um, Batfleck to, re <laughs> to reshoot the roles of Batman since the Michael Keaton Batman multiverse thing had just kind of gotten ripped out of the realm of possibility so there's been so much of this uh you know and and i think what we have been avoiding on this show because we don't want to be like a tmz gossip queen type thing just talking about the latest mudslinging that's going on we haven't met we never talked about amber heard and all that going on how that may affect um aquaman too we haven't really been talking about too much about we did mention it once or twice but we're not like harping on or, or gushing on the ezra miller um kind of tragedy or whatever's going on with that so we haven't really been beating on that from a scandalous kind of gossipy kind of way because that's not who i am i don't think that's who you are and that's what i don't want this show to be about um but so we haven't really been talking about this too much but that's going to be this kind of a focus on this episode and unfortunately part of talking about that in flash is we do kind of have to talk about ezra miller and all the legal trouble he's been in and and everything else because that's going to affect the possibility of us seeing this movie too Yes, sir. But back to Batgirl, 
apparently the CEO over at Warner Brothers right now, who's a Mr. David Zaslav, want to make sure I don't butcher that name. He's the CEO. And he said that he wants the company to shift and make DC films big theatrical event films. Meaning that he wants to stay away from streaming or any of these films being released on streaming. He wants them to play big theatrically. Uh, and I remember hearing initially when that was cancellation was announced that the reason they were shelving Batgirl is because it's it was made for streaming and it doesn't fit the kind of model that they want going forward. Now, of course, me and my friends joked around and we said, that's just to cover up that the movie probably sucks and they just don't want to release it because of that. Now, you know, of course, that's just fanboy chatter. There's mm -hmm. there's no real basis for argument there because none of us has seen the finished product. So, But these kind of machinations behind the scenes, these kind of corporate maneuvers don't really give fans a lot of faith. And I'm kind of annoyed because this Batgirl is one of the properties I was sort of looking forward to just to see what they would do with it mm -hmm. and now there's just no real chance of that except if a bootleg pops up online you know and there's just no real chance of that and i just kind of think in this day and age that really kind of sucks you know that to me that harkens back to the dark ages of fandom when you had to seek out the roger corman produced fantastic four movie on vhs bootlegs at your local comic shop or at different conventions right some shady back out alley dealing or something you know <laughs> yeah yeah some guy in a truck pops open his truck man what you need i got you what you need yeah, <laughs> you know, so. yeah, yeah. nobody yeah. wants to go back and honestly that. i i remember a time even in the early 2000s when i was trying to um i was nostalgic for like the 1967 spider-man series and i was buying bootleg vhs stuff off of those. ebay that people were just like doing it playing them on a projector and just recording that and I, I don't know where they are but I still have some I literally bought bootleg VHS Spider-Man stuff on eBay you know 20 some odd years ago because I wanted to see them again because I hadn't seen them in so long you know now I, I ended up getting the box set and I watched them and thinking my god I can't believe I thought these were good when I was four years old <laughs> yeah. they're, still, they're still kind of cool for the, they, know, for they, the yeah they are but there's a very a specific amount of cheese associated with them yeah, too. So, yeah. You know, the, yeah. when Ralph back she took it over and it became this trippy whatever you want to call it but yeah now i remember those bootlegs some of them were actually taped right off of television but yeah they did, this just reminds me of that yeah sometimes just, that's what you had to do you know some and i just part of me just wants just release it whatever the quality is just release it and let the fans make their own decision about it because when you're hiding it and keeping it close to the vest or locking it away in the vault what you're effectively doing is telling the fans this product is substandard and when you've already released things like batman v superman that fans were largely negative on it's kind of weird that you would hold this back but i digress so i'll just play devil's advocate and let's just what's the what's the new um ceo or president's name again let me pick that up again and that is a mr david zaslav all right, well, we'll just call him David. So let's just say, uh, for devil, for our sake of argument, let's say I'm David now, and I just, you know, I just took over this train wreck that has been Warner Brothers and DC, 
And so now, yes, this, this project was already in the works and now it was done. But now that I'm steering this ship, I want to make sure that things that are released under my leadership have a certain bar that are being met. Or even if it's not the quality bar, like he says, he now here's my vision, here's my plan, this is what I want. I want to I want to just crank out movies. And whether this is good or bad, it's not a movie. Kind of like what we were talking about with um, Obi Wan. Obi Wan could have been a movie, right? Obi Wan gave us six episodes that probably could have been scrunched down into three, three hours worth of content. It could have been a decent movie. Um, so he might just say, "Listen, it's not bad quality." But this is my decision, this is my decision, and this is my plan. And we're kind of been complaining about that they don't have a plan. So maybe this is the plan now. The plan is theatrical releases of a theatrical release quality. And unfortunately, this is not theatrical. So it's not that it sucks. It's not that it's bad. But I want my legacy of the things that are now released under my leadership to follow this plan, this vision, and this doesn't fit into it. So unfortunately, we've just got to put it on the shelf. That's me playing devil's advocate, giving them 100% benefit of the doubt that that's the motivation behind it. We don't know, but um, for sake of argument, we'll say that's what it is. You're right. And the shame is that we don't really know. All of this is just sort of us speculating, you know, shooting around in the dark, you know, hoping to hit a target. None of right. us are for sure what's going on because none of us are sitting on the board of directors at Warner Brothers or Discovery or whoever is holding the reins at this point. But... You know, according to this Wikipedia write-up, and I'm only using Wikipedia because it's a comprehensive source. I haven't come across too many articles that have listed the entire history of the production up until now. So for lack of a better source, I'm going to use Wikipedia here. Basically, the conclusion seems to be that they're writing it off for a tax break, and that would be better than trying to re release it theatrically, which would bring with it you know marketing costs and everything and distribution costs and, okay, and that could be true that that could be right. true and you know write it off as a loss we spent this money and unfortunately we're not going to be able to profit from this money so we're going to write this off as a loss and that means that now i got to pay less taxes on the things that were were a win um it, any of that is possible none of it um seems to to have any positive spin on fandom for people who wanted to see the series people want to see and like you say a new take on batgirl which is an interesting character that i feel has been underrealized at least cinematically Me too. and then and then i think a lot of fans want to see michael keaton don the cowl again and this was one place where we were hopeful that we would see it and right now that that's put on hold right on indefinite hold it seems right and and unfortunately because i read so many headlines and it seems like things change at least on a weekly basis or even sometimes on a daily basis we, you know we're not covering this on a week by week basis because things change so much the the rumors of of what's going to happen to the flash movie the rumors of what's going to happen with ezra miller or what ezra miller has done or hasn't done and is the movie one of the most recent headlines i saw was there's only three options for the Flash movie. One of them is that Ezra Miller has to issue a public apology and enter some type of uh, therapy. The other one is a, I don't remember. And then option number three was, well, we just don't release the movie. So it's just like, and that was a recent article. And prior to that, there's been, well, maybe we'll reshoot and we'll replace Ezra Miller with the guy who plays Barry Allen in the Flash on the CW show. And so every week there's a new headline and a new theory and a new, um, you know, kind of conversation about what 
will happen, what might happen. And so I think for some reasons, I've not wanted to bring this stuff up in the news because it's been so tumultuous. It's been in such a state of flux. I don't, again, I don't want to kind of be the gossipy, queenie, TMZ type of, ooh, look who, who, who said this this week and what's going on this week. Right. That's just, you know what I mean? That's so not, it's, that's it's, not it's, culture goes pop. That's not, yeah, but it's been such a kind of gossipy, you know, roller coaster train wreck for so long. I, and now we're at to the point where it's looking like, well, the flash may or may not even make it to this, to the screen. Um, which it's really, such a shame. Which really pisses me off to no end. I have a good friend that I have talked about these things at length with a uh, shout out to Natalie. She knows who she is. And we've discussed this before many times. I'm just very annoyed with the flash, the situation surrounding the flash or flashpoint or whatever the movie's going to turn out to be because the flash to me, it's one of those DC properties that in green lantern. I've always said to myself, if they can get, a proper flash movie off the ground the way we really want to see the flash and do that flashpoint story that would be a license to print money that would be for the dcu eu what iron man was what the original iron man film was it would be a great jumping off point to get people interested to pull people in green lantern conceptually just on a conceptual level green lantern is as one of my friends described it basically a cop show in space that kind of idea is just made that's that kind of weapon that kind of idea is like you can weaponize that in all sorts of ways uh dc could have a ball with that idea merchandising and everything else so it'd be just a great it's conceptually it's just a great idea and dc has a lot of these gems and for the flash to just sort of stumble out the gate like this and not even stumble out the gate it hasn't even the starter pistol hasn't even gone off yet. And to have all this stuff going on, I feel very bad for the people who have worked on that film. I feel very bad for the executives at Warner Brothers who may believe in the project and think that it has some sort of potential. This is just really sad. And I don't know what's going on with Ezra Miller. If he's done the things that he's been accused of, he deserves to be punished for them. But he also needs to get some help. I would say right, and, and I think one of the most recent um, headlines was is that he is now admitting that he does have um, a mental health issue and will be seeking treatment for that. Um, and, and I look at that one of two ways, and I say this with all due respect, not only to him, but to anybody else who is struggling with mental health, because I'll be, I'll raise my hand and say, I'm the first one. I've got anxiety issues and, you know, I, I can become melancholy and all kinds of things. So my, um, you know, my spring is not wound super tight to where my, my brain is perfect either. or My emotional state isn't. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of preface it by that. So um, when you think about the things he's done, when you're a movie star and you've got money and you break into somebody's house to steal booze, <laughs> something's not quite right in that situation. I'm not here to judge or describe what that means. Um, and, and so part of it, too, is that that becomes the escape, the escape and the get out of jail free thing. Like, you know, when you commit a murder and you do the insanity plea, well, I can't help it. I'm, I'm crazy. Right. Uh, so don't, you know, don't put me up for uh, for for electrocution. Put me in life in prison because I didn't mean it. So you could be playing the mental health card as a way to get out of this problem free. So, so I'm not saying that he is. And I'm not trying to make light of the issue of mental health because I feel that's an issue that is not being addressed as well in this country as it should be. Uh, I'm sympathetic to it. 
what and, and sometimes you just you know you have to you have to issue these apologies and these statements because of the kind of court of public opinion you have to say what people want to hear um, in order to be able to move forward so i don't know if he truly has mental health issues although obviously based on the actions there's definitely something going on to cause him to behave this way and um, for whatever reason if he does have mental health issues i sincerely hope he does take care of them for his own benefit to grow as a person and move on to a healthier life um, selfishly i want to see the movie but um you know time will tell if we get to see it or not time will definitely tell and in regards to ezra miller's issues I think one thing that may not turn out so good for him on a personal and professional level, on both levels, is that in the court of public opinion, there seems to be very low tolerance these days for stars and the rich and famous to be screwing up in the manner that he's screwing up. I think people have a lot less sympathy than they used to for that sort of thing, especially if they see he was being privileged in some way. So, the ce celebrity shenanigans, if you will. Yes. I, I think there's, you know, I think a lot of people feel that the statute of limitations on that is like now being extended. You know, there's no statute of limitations on it. So, you know, he needs to get that under control and he needs to, and let's re remember here, if he's guilty of these crimes, these crimes of actual victims. So he's and not I, don't, I don't even know what the full list of charges are because again because i try to avoid some of the gossipy headlines that i see you want to just re re, re, re rehash or recap some of the um charges That's or right. crimes or accusations i think we may need to we may need to do that yes we may okay. need to do that. let's get the cast list up here ezra miller and now we are going to go down to Controversies and legal issues via Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> he has a whole. This, think about what that's saying. He has a whole section on his Wikipedia page de dedicated to controversies and legal issues, as per Wikipedia. <laughs> that's saying something. That is an achievement unlocked right there. Yeah. <laughs> April 6, twenty twenty, a video surfaced in a since deleted tweet deleted tweet that appeared to show Miller strangling a woman and throwing her to the ground. The video was confirmed by Variety to have taken place at Pericchio Coffeeus, a bar in Reykjavik. Reykjavik. Please forgive me, listeners, if I have butchered any of those names. <laughs> yeah, I think you've butchered all of them, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, now that's one. Hawaii arrests... So on March 28, 2022, Miller was arrested in Hawaii following what police said was a physical altercation with patrons after having hurled obscenities at clients at a karaoke bar and was charged with disorderly conduct and harassment. Three weeks later, on April, 20, April 19th, he was again taken into custody for second-degree assault by Leilani Estate Subdivision Police Authorities in Ahoa, according to Midi Libre. They were arrested. They were arrested for throwing a chair, which hit a 26-year-old woman and left a half-inch cut on her foot. Yeah. Okay. This isn't looking too good, and this is not looking too good at all. So yeah, a lot of these things are kind of behavioral anger management type things. When you're strangling somebody, you're verbally assaulting somebody, you're throwing furniture at people. Um, yeah. 
and you know, and I'm, this is too much to really go down, but they're yeah. harassing allegation, allegations, and it ends. So the cherry on top seems to be a burglary charge on August seventh. Breaking and entering at that point. Add B and E to assault and battery, huh? Okay, so yeah. uh, that's not oh. painting. There's, there's a frequency to this behavior, and that's not painting yeah. a good picture. There's a pattern. So man, I was gonna say something for Ezra Miller. I'll pray for you. <laughs> that boy needs Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pray for you, but more importantly, I'm gonna pray for anybody that's in in your vicinity or around you or that you yeah. have to deal with. Because right oh, now, man. can you imagine? what the suits at Warner's are thinking right now. Can you imagine what the executive producers behind this new Flash movie are thinking right now? Those guys have got to be sweating in their suits right now. They've got to, they've just got to be because you, they're in a position right now. They may have to, what happens if they have to sort of recast the role or digitally erase whatever footage they've already digitally erased this guy from whatever footage they've already filmed. I mean, think about think so, about how much it's costing. So here's again. Listen, I'm not I'm not in the business of Hollywood, but one of the things they do now, even like on Disney Plus, when Disney Plus airs some old episodes of like the Mickey Mouse Club or other shows, or even now when they show Tom and Jerry, there's a little disclaimer at the beginning that says this will contain some cultural references that are by today's standards outdated, and some people may consider offensive. Please take that under advisement when watching this program. However, to, to uh, you know, to kind of maintain the integrity of it, we are not going to censor or edit that stuff, but viewer discretion advice, you know, so kind of put that blanket disclaimer at the beginning. Um, and, and, and in a case like this, you're talking about all the actors who I'm sure they got paid something to do it, or maybe some of their payments were contingent on box office and, and points and things like that. So, you know, yes, we are, we are aware that there's lots of current issues going on with the star of this film, which are still being taken. And we take all these things seriously. However, in fairness to the fans and to all the other people who worked on this production, we feel that we should still air it, um, and um, we do not condone this and that. You know, there's there's got to be a way they can spin this and put a disclaimer up there and say, for better or worse, we want to not punish everybody else who didn't commit his crimes or alleged crimes, right? So the potential to do that might be there. Is that gonna is that gonna please everybody? Yeah, I, this is really a Kobayashi Maru. This is a no-win scenario. You know, if you don't if you don't post it, you're super damned. If you do post it, you're going to piss off a portion of the populace. But what's their what's their lesser evil or greater good here? Yeah, right. The Kobayashi Maru. That's the only way to win is to not to play. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, though, they've already they already have set foot on the ball field. They've already set up shop. On the, on the field they've already got their players out in gear in shape ready to play you know i think what you're talking about could definitely work but i think that it depends on how severe some of these allegations get and how severe his punishment. right so let me let me give you another analogy so um bill cosby all right so right. bill cosby has turned out he's done some some bad things so would would any studio ever want to re-air the Cosby show with putting a disclaimer up front? We realize that Mr. Cosby may or may not have, you know, done a, he might have been a serial date rapist, but uh, we still feel this program is worth watching. And if you can forgive that, enjoy the rest of the show. Could, could Cosby could Cosby ever be on the air again? Right. <laughs> right. And there was, I don't know if this, this 
uh, cable platform is still airing it. There was at least one. I can't remember the name of it, but they, they were still airing it. But yeah, that was one of the biggest shows in syndication. And when, when you know, those allegations against him became mainstream and everybody knew about it, it was taken from, you know, I remember TV Land, Nick at Night used to show it. I mean, it was everywhere. The Cosby Show was one of those shows. It was just, as big as Seinfeld. Yeah. Was, <laughs> you know, and Seinfeld was a big show. Right. I mean, the Cosby Show was arguably the biggest show of its kind ever made. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that, that became a big thing. I mean, they took it right out of syndication. I remember uh, the guy who played Theo Huxtable. Right. Like Malcolm Jamal Warner. I remember yeah, oh, yeah. being on a talk show and saying, hey, you know, this is putting a dent in my pockets and there are other actors on other shows who've been accused of some very harsh things he named those actors and all of mm-hmm. the allegations were true and he said how come they're not how come their shows aren't being pulled off the air in the same way so yeah right because that's so that's the unfortunate that's that's the collateral damage there yeah maybe the star has now turned out to be not the best person in the world allegedly or not and in order to protect you know, the backlash, the, the safest thing to do is to pull it off the shelf. But unfortunately, what about everybody else who stood to, you know, still earn residual income from this? There, There's other victims, too. So it's it's a slippery slope. I don't know. The, I don't know the answer or the solution to that. Right. And that's got to be Warner Brothers has got to be taking that stuff into account. Like I said, especially allegations that involve physical or, and or sexual assault the public is a lot less forgiving of that stuff now than they were even a decade ago. Right. So, right. Yeah, that's got to be worrying Warner Brothers right now. Oh, so we will pray for Ezra Miller. We will pl- pray for The Flash. Um, uh, bless their heart. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what else to say about this, but it is, a, it is unfortunately, it's a, it's a black flag. It's a black star, right? So black scar or stain a star whatever you want a scar i can't i can't talk but yeah um it is unfortunate um l- how about we take two steps back and let's talk about what we what we do like what what modern dc movies do we like i'll start and say i didn't hate man of steel i thought it was a quality film oh. i enjoyed the first wonder woman and i enjoyed aquaman so there, they have been able to release some standalone movies. Um, I didn't think Batman v Superman was terrible. I um, Ben Affleck actually impressed me. I, I wanted to hate him, and I didn't hate him. I actually really thought he did a good job. And I find that my favorite versions now are the Snyder cuts of those. So the extended cut of Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and um, Justice League. If you've got, you know, like nine hours to watch all those, um, they played out very well. And I found them to be much more enjoyable than the theatrical releases. So they, they have been able to release some good, some, some, some hits. And there's been a few misses, too. So what have you liked about the recent DC films? Actually, I liked, I thought Man of Steel was pretty solid when I, from when I first saw it. I saw it on um, the Thursday night preview screening, I think, back then. And I thought it was pretty solid. I don't really think it's a great Superman movie, but if you just sort of look at it as sort of a modern science, modern sci-fi or modern science fantasy action film, mm-hmm. it functions pretty. I think it functions pretty well. I think 
I think fan reaction to that was a bit too negative. That was a, you know, I think people were just so offended because it wasn't their version of Superman. But no, I didn't think that was a bad movie at all. Not at all. Um, Henry Cavill, I'm a huge fan of now, and I think yeah. he is the the modern Superman for the modern era. Uh, I unfortunately I completely hated Batman v Superman, and I refused to watch an extended cut of it because I just hated that first cut so bad. I, I didn't hate the I didn't hate the first cut. I just felt meh. You know, I felt a little underwhelmed, but watching the Snyder cut of that, I'm like, okay, this is better. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, right. Um, and then I did not like that first Suicide Squad. I did not, uh, you know, the Justice League, the Joss Whedon was, it was okay. It was mediocre. It wasn't, I didn't think it was horrible, but it just wasn't much to like about it. But it wasn't something that I hated. Now, before I sound too negative on DC, I want to say the ones that I have liked, like I said at the top of the show, I like Shazam. I actually like Shazam a lot. I haven't seen that one yet. I need to watch it. Yeah, no, it's actually, no, Shazam is like a fun time. That's a, that's a fun watch. I liked Aquaman, even though I mean, there are things in it that make no sense at all, but it's just on a visual level. Like I said, again, conceptually, visually, it's sort of like Star Wars Underwater. Which I which I really enjoyed. I thought Birds of Prey was pretty decent. Yeah, that's that was very overlooked. I thought Birds of Prey was pretty decent as like a little action movie. The Snyder Cut, I wasn't as over the moon about it as so many other people were, but there were lots of things in it that I did like. There were again on a vis from a visual standpoint and a conceptual standpoint, I got a better idea of what Zack Snyder was trying to pull off originally. You know, and I think that maybe his vision was a bit too bold for superhero films, and that's something I'll get into. I'll elaborate on that in another another time. Right, right, because they're kind of teasing the dark future where Superman basically loses his shiznit, and yes. um, because of you know losing Lois Lane. So now the, in the post-apocalyptic future, everybody's afraid of Psycho Superman, um, which is a really cool premise to play with. It's probably been played out in the comic books before, but because I haven't read a comic book in decades. Uh, and also to, to talk about that again, when I talk about how bold Zack Snyder's vision was, and I know that there are people out there, are people out there who will laugh at the notion of that kind of a filmmaker having a bold vision with anything but it kind of ties into bruce wayne's initial fear about superman that i forget the exact line but he said if there's even a one percent chance that this guy could be against us we have to treat it as an absolute certainty so again i think that Zack snyder's long-term vision was probably a bit too yeah big, you know for you know and the and so and i think that um that the Ben Affleck Batman was kind of encapsulating some of that because he had so much data on all these metahumans. He was tracking them. And if you, and if you like, I haven't read comic books in, in decades, but I have been watching. And to give credit to where DC is doing an incredible job is their feature animation branch of things. So Warner Brothers Animation has just cranked out tons of incredible content where it is a feature length movie. It plays out like a movie. It's acted and performed like a movie. It just happens to be animated, right? So they call that feature animation. There's been a ton of great Warner Brothers DC feature animation, which by the way, you can watch almost all that on HBO Max free plug there that I don't get any money from. But um, they, they, they showed where Batman had basically the, 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 the silver bullet and kryptonite for basically every 
single superhero in the Justice League where he was that maniacal, where he was ready to pop a cap in anybody if they <laughs> crossed whatever line yeah, he had imagined line. existed. And um, in case any of them got out of line. Yeah, yeah. But who was, you know, it's like, who watches The Watchmen? Who's who's watching Batman to see what, because how many lines has he crossed? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but it was already been played out on, on, a, on, on screen that Batman was ready to kill anybody who abused their power or went rogue or just crossed some type of line from good to, to threat. Um, and so it, we were kind of building towards that um, with between Batman v Superman and how Batman was kind of he knew about all these metahumans leading into the justice league. Well, these are guys I can now put together to, to use as allies, but in part of knowing about who they are, he's also figuring out what their weaknesses are too, in case I need to put them down, <laughs> which is kind of cool, scary, and creepy. And before I forget, before I forget, because I almost forgot to add this movie to the pile. I did like the James Gunn suicide squad. Yes. Yes. Like the quality Gunn. entertainment, quality entertainment. So yeah, no, it's and I, again, I think that DC, and Natalie, if you're out there listening, I think that DC gets a bad rap as far as the quality, overall quality of all their entries. It's like, yes, there have been some very, there's been some very heavy blemishes, but there have been some good things too. And I don't think that people talk about that enough. People forget that Aquaman was a billion dollar grosser. That, that film made a billion worldwide. I mean, Shazam, I was surprised Shazam didn't make more money than it made. And they're doing a uh, sequel to Shazam, and somehow there's going to be some right. potential cross-pollination between Shazam and Black Adam, which should eventually lead into Black Adam, because I believe he is going to be the future of the DC uh, I think extended I've read universe. That, I think I've read that Dwayne Johnson has some issues with that. Uh, okay. That cross-pollination, I think something about him making an appearance in one, and he's not too happy with being making an appearance in anything but the Black Adam movie because he doesn't want okay. to cheat or something of that nature. Okay, fair enough. He seems to have a very... So um, Dwayne uh, Johnson himself seems to have a very clear vision of what he thinks Black Adam should be and how that should be um, kind of molding and, and forging the future of the DC cinematic universe. And he's also a big fan and advocate for Henry Cavill as Superman, and he wants to do something with him. There's supposedly teasers that we might see a Superman cameo in Black Adam, which I'm looking forward to seeing if possible. I'm a big fan of Henry Cavill in the in the, in the red and blue. Um, but I, I think the future, starting with Black Adam, is probably going to be paving the way for future films. If anything, Black Adam might be the Iron Man of the future of the DC extended universe dc cinematic universe right yeah i like you know i like the trailer some people are kind of meh about the trailer but i like it i think it's a solid trailer i think the movie could end up being a lot of fun i mean we've always wanted to see what i mean look Dwayne the rock he was already a superhero or supervillain or whatever you want to call it before he ever set foot inside of a superhero movie i mean what are wwe wrestlers and athletes and performers if not real life stand-ins for superheroes i mean he's got the physique already yeah yeah squidrow, so that's and, perfect and the funny thing is too if you're an average guy and you're not 
of a physique or a finance or of any set of looks where, you know, women are going to be after you and you can like live any type of baller lifestyle. Your first instinct is you want to hate people like that, right? Like, oh my God, this guy's got everything. I don't like him. I don't want to, you know, like I used to feel that way about Mark Wahlberg. My God, this guy's so damn good looking. But every movie he's done, I've loved every movie Mark Wahlberg has done. So I can't hate the guy, even though I would probably be jealous of his looks and his fortune and his fame. But the same thing with, 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 um, with The Rock, right? With Dwayne Johnson. You don't want you don't want to like this guy, but there's been nothing he's done that I haven't liked. I never thought he could do comedy. He does incredible comedy. He can be an action hero. He can be serious. He can be the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, big, strong, bulky guy. And he can also be funny next to Kevin Hart or Will Ferrell or anybody else, too. So he can hold his own as an actor in so many different ways, you know? Right. And the Schwarzenegger, the Schwarzenegger comparison is apt. Because growing up, you know, when I was a kid, Schwarzenegger was my favorite movie star. To me, Dwayne Johnson is like Schwarzenegger 2.0. Right. He can He's a better actor than Arnold. Arnold was never a good actor, even on his best day. He was a likable presence, and he fit well in certain kinds of movies, but he was never an actor. But Dwayne Johnson can actually act. He can, like you said, he can do multiple genres. He can laugh at himself. He can do comedy. Arnold could do it, too. But Arnold was always sort of the butt of the joke. Right, right. Is, a, is a bit more of a multifaceted performer. He yeah, can, yeah. You know, and there was a there was a scene in a, one of Dwayne's early movies, The Rundown, which is actually very underrated for people who haven't seen it. Go get go check out The Rundown. Arnold makes a ca- a cameo in that movie, and it's just Arnold just walking past him. You don't even, you barely even see Arnold's face, and Arnold says something to him along the lines of, "You got this." <laughs> Almost like Arnold was handing off the baton. Pa- to him. Passing the torch, right? So, but uh, yeah, check out the rundown. But yeah, um, I will say from here, I am hopeful about the DC. I just want the, I, the DC cinematic universe. Just you know, especially with the sale of the CW, this might be a chance for them to sort of clear out all of the baggage of all those CW shows. And to kind of start fresh. But like I said, think about what can make them unique from the MCU. Don't try to ape the MCU. What can make us, what do we have that Marvel does not have? And focus on that and sell that. True. True. You need to talk to somebody. They need to be listening to you, Mr. Wilson, because you've got some good ideas there for them. Oh, shoot, them, shoot them an email, man. Reach out. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, they'll, read the, they'll read the email. But yeah, okay, whatever. And then keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and as much as I feel like there's a lot of things that Marvel has done right uh, in the theaters, I I do feel like Disney Plus is really overwhelming us with content in the Star Wars side and the Marvel side. Um, I think there's some mixed reviews of the latest Lightyear, which I want to watch, but um, I haven't seen seen it. it. It's not too bad. I've seen it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's a... It's light. It's sort of lightweight Star Wars. Okay. Okay. So uh, yeah. So there's just so much. And on the one hand, it's it's a good problem when there's so much content. But on the other hand, um, when you start to dilute the um, integrity and intensity of these properties and these franchises, it kind of lessens the effect. Uh, I know there's a lot of already kind of prejudgment on the She-Hulk that's getting ready to come out on the CGI. And then, you know, that, they, people have been hating on that CGI for a long time. Actually, 
some early word because people have actually seen, I guess a screener is out and critics have actually seen it or seen a few episodes from it. The, and the early word is very positive. Okay. And I, and again, I'm, I am trying to check myself because I think we're fans and we're human. And there's a lot of things that when I hear about it, I'm like, oh, this can't be good. There's no way this can. Like, I, I am not a fan of reboots. I'm not a fan of rehashing stuff. And on the movies or on TV series, like when they made a new MacGyver, I was not, and I was not looking forward to that. My wife watched it. She liked it. When they made them doing a new Magnum PI and like, ah, I just can't get into this. If they were to redo an A team, I'd feel the same way, man. These were just, these were just, just cherished. They're like, it's sacred ground. You know, it's like almost blasphemous to try to redo these things, but Lord willing, if they do it well, then, oh man. And I'll give you an example where they did do well. Another, th another property I felt was very uh, hollowed ground was the Jumanji movie. And not only did they remake it, but they made it into pretty much a comedy. And at first I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to like this, but I saw it with my older daughter and we both, we just laughed our asses off and it was great. And they respected the property. That first Jumanji movie was, yeah, like you don't even have to be a fan of the property to enjoy it. even know that it existed, for that matter. Yeah. yeah. So, but, I mean, look, with all of these things we got to keep in mind, we're just fans. You know, right. we're, we're not the guys that make the decisions. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I even want them listening to us because some fans have some wild ideas. <laughs> so, in fact, real quick, before we close the show, what I want to say to fandom all fellow geeks and fans fanboys nerds whatever you call yourselves please stop with the dream fan casting because you only cast with looks in mind you cast according to who looks the most like who's the best real life approximation of goku or superman or whatever there's more to playing a character than just that malcolm uh denzel washington did not look like malcolm x did not favor him at all but when you think about when you think about malcolm because that because of Denzel's performance in that movie, you just, you can't think of one without the other almost. Right, right. It's kind of like uh, who would have thought Jamie Foxx would have could have played Ray Charles, but he did. Right, you know? exactly. You know? he, did a, he did an amazing job, and I can guarantee that he would not have been any Ray Charles fan's first choice. Right, right. Just like we, we, you and I would not have imagined Michael Keaton being a good Batman, and he's you know he's in the top three. Of the best Batman, right. and I hated him. I hated him when he was when I was a kid, and now that I'm in my mid forties, I he's my favorite. Right, right, right. So what I am definitely trying to do is to check myself and temper myself and wait. I don't. I'm trying to be less prejudgy and more post opinioned after I've had a chance. And matter of fact, even now, as we start to watch things and as we were watching certain things and we're only watching them one episode at a time, I almost feel like before we start talking about a streaming show, we should be at least halfway through the series, if not all the way through the series. Um, because a lot of things we were talking about, you know, on Obi-Wan as we were going through it episode by episode, some of those opinions change. Luckily with Miss Marvel, we liked it all the way through. And did you see the end of Miss Marvel yet? Actually, yeah, I did. I yeah. gotta watch. So, I have to watch. I have to watch them again because it was. I watched it in a fragmented way because I was multitasking. I gotta watch. Yeah, them. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there's times when you can watch things episodically and it's kind of good. Sometimes you're like, oh, I like, you know, oh my god, what's going on here? I hate being strung along. All these other things like that. Um, speaking of of episodic stuff, I will just say, and maybe we can talk about this when you have a chance to watch it. But I did watch um, season one of the brand new Resident Evil 
on Netflix. And and it, I think there's eight episodes. So you're looking at maybe a seven to eight hour commitment, which I think my wife and I did over three or four nights. Um, really, done really well. It's not a reboot per se. It actually takes place now and it acknowledges events that happened in Raccoon City back in 1998, which is to say that's the what when the video game took place. And let's just say that's what happened in the first um, Resident Evil movie that starred... Um, uh, Amelia Jovovich, right? So we're, they're basically saying, yeah, there was a, there was a problem in Raccoon City. There was zombies and there was stuff that was contained. This is the new Umbrella Corporation now in 2022. But guess what? <laughs> it's the Umbrella Corporation, and they're dealing with the T virus. Are there a chance that the genie is going to be let out of the bottle? Absolutely. So it's not a reboot. It's almost a continuation of that, acknowledging. The, what had happened in the past and now looking at where we are in the present um, and it's re- and in the future too the post-apocalyptic zombie zombie apocalyptic uh, future um, done very well interesting characters and, and, and kind of flashing forward and back and just before the before the storm and after the storm um, and it's a really nice take on this franchise I really enjoyed watching it I'm looking forward to seeing more um, we'll leave it at that Okay, okay, and um, I'm looking forward to Sandman. I want to get halfway through that so we can talk about that because I've heard so many, I've seen so many good reviews and I've heard so many good personal recommendations from people I know. I've never read Neil Gaiman's classic comic book series from Vertigo. I've never read an issue of that, but that was one of those, that's one of those series that a lot of guys my age will say is the greatest comic comic book ever written. So. And, I, and I have started watching it, and and again because I have I'm so out of the loop on what's been going on in comic books and graphic novels over the past probably thirty years. I only knew it that it is a DC property and in, in a Warner Brothers property, although it is streaming on Netflix. So this is probably how Warner Brothers is getting away of not streaming anymore on their network. Um, but it's a great series. Each one is kind of like a chapter and it tells a story. And it is dealing with a um, with a relative of Constantine, which is another DC character who I didn't know about originally. I remember seeing the movie with Keanu Reeves, not even knowing it was based on a comic book, and then seeing the TV series with the, the short-lived TV series before he kind of got wrapped into the Legends of Tomorrow. But the actor, the modern actor, the kind of dirty blonde hair guy with a trench coat and a cigarette, to me, he is Constantine now. That's what I think of when I think of Constantine. And when I watched the Keanu Reeves movie, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see how Keanu was kind of going for that. Um, but there is a descendant of a relative of Constantine in this, too. So it's kind of tying together some of that supernatural. It's dealing with with gods and realms and things like that. So it's kind of cool. It's very it's got its roots in the DC comic universe, but it almost seems like it's its own property. It's its own franchise and it's playing out very well so far. I think I think we've seen two or three episodes and I'm uh, I don't know if it's going to be if it's a limited series or if it's going to be a continual series of multiple seasons. Um, but so far, I'm liking what they're cooking. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it myself. I'm looking looking very forward to watching that, as a matter of fact, because even though that's not technically part of, I guess, the DCEU or whatever you want to call it now, but it would just be nice to see DC get a solid win, to get a solid Absolutely. home run recently. So, And I, I will count, if I end up liking this series, I will count that as a home run for them. So I think that kind of wraps up our feelings about this particular topic i mean i think we both kind of ending on a note we're both ending on a note of just please dc get it together please 
<laughs> WTF DCEU. Yes. Um, but I remain optimistic. I don't want to be a hater. I don't want to um, think negative and, and, you know, I, I always want to try to put positive energy into the uh, universe and hopefully it comes, some of that comes back to me. So wish for the best and, and hopefully we'll get something that we can be satisfied with when it comes to the offerings we get on the big screen and the small screen. Um, I, I just want to also just kind of say now, because if you're listening to this episode, hopefully you're aware of the fact that I've dropped three interviews and one of them is a brand new interview that just happened with an incredible author, uh, Glenn Dahlgren, who I've had the pleasure of getting to know over this past two or three years. And, um, I found out about him because he, he designed video games for the computer I used when I was a kid. So he was a game developer where he made his own games for many years. He went on to become a game designer, working for some very big companies working on some very big, you know, AAA title video games, and then went on to become uh, an author doing fantasy novels. And he's got his third book that's just coming out. So I would encourage people to listen to those interviews because it's great stuff. If you're interested in what it was like making video games back in the day and what it's like making more modern video games, and then what it's like to write novels and do your own audiobooks for those novels, that's some great content that we've added to the podcast that you can listen to if you... Um, the best thing is if you're if you're listening to us as a podcast and you have a podcast app, if you just kind of um, hit that subscribe or follow button, whatever it's called on your podcast app, you should get notified of all the various episodes as they drop and then give them a listen. Listen to the Glenn Dahlgren interviews because it's great content. I mentioned early on that I've got a lot of um, recycled content that I can bring into the program because I've done a lot of really good interviews that I feel are not um extremely topical or time sensitive that can always be re-aired later. And I've kind of avoided just throwing out nothing but recycled content, but I felt these were, um, relevant because this is a, a brand new interview we just did live this weekend. It was also cross-streamed live to our Facebook group. So you could have watched the interview live then and there. And he's even got a promo code with our show. So if you use promo code CGP, which is the abbreviation for Culture Goes Pop, and you order his two previous novels or pre-order his new novel, you get 15% off um, as a thank you to us doing the interview with him. So I thought that was cool of him to do that as well. So I just want to say I'm grateful for that and for that relationship I built. And I'm hoping to build more of those relationships and get more guests and interview more people in the future. I do have another author who I plan to uh, interview soon and want to be able to talk to more people like that. So uh, I'm grateful for what we got and I'm looking forward to hopefully getting more in the future. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So we will keep on bringing you great content. All right. So we will wrap it up. I have been and will remain Steve Strobridge. And I have been and will remain Scott Wilson. <laughs> and I'll just do the obligatory um, reminding people who we are on the internet, right? So our website is culturegoespop.com. You can send an email to us. The email address is show at culturegoespop.com. On our website will be links to where you can interface with us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and love to hear from you. I'd love to get some listener feedback and uh, opinions on our show and suggestions for future shows, etc. I'm done. Peace. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.